and uh, just to sense God's presence amongst you. It's, uh, it's good to be part of local church, isn't it? Uh, so many around our world today, you know, face fear and imprisonment and all kinds of things um, because of uh, their faith in Christ. And so we're so blessed. We're so, uh, you know, um, uh, so blessed to be able to come together and gather together in freedom and liberty and you know, so I want to encourage you as a church, you know, keep on doing what you know to do. Keep on being faithful. Keep on uh, working uh, God's purposes out here in South Normanton, you know. And uh, let's believe for growth. Let's believe for every seat to be filled and more seats to be put out there. Uh, I think we're part of an exciting uh, movement, Assemblies of God. And uh, I'm really excited by the new leadership team and the vision that Pastor Glenn Barrett has there. I was uh, at the Leadership Summit yesterday in Wales. I know Nathan was at the one in Coventry for the Midlands uh, last week. And uh, just a real sense of vision and inspiration and uh, resource and hope for the future. Uh, I think it's exciting. I think we're set up to win. Uh, and so, you know, I really came away quite enthused and inspired and encouraged. So, you know, we're part of something bigger than ourselves. And, and uh, it's the kingdom of God, isn't it? So keep on leaning in, keep on pressing in to what God is doing around the world. Fantastic. So um, if you've got a Bible, just turn to Luke's Gospel, chapter 10. Luke's Gospel, chapter 10. And uh, while, while you're doing that, um, I, I wonder what your perception of poverty actually is. What your perception, I guess if we went around the room, different people would come up with different ideas of what poverty actually is. We'd all have a different perception. It reminds me of this uh, general and his lieutenant who are coming home from the war and they get to the train station and they, uh, it's packed out there, but they get onto the train, they find the last two seats in a railway carriage opposite this elderly grandma and her granddaughter and uh, there's a little bit of small talk and then the train pulls out and after a while it goes through a, a tunnel and for about 10 seconds it's pitch black in the tunnel and the only sound that could be heard was the sound of a kiss and the sound of a slap and everyone in the carriage had their own perception of what happened. You see, the young lady said, well, I'm flattered that the lieutenant kissed me, but I'm really embarrassed that grandmother hit him. Grandmother thinks to herself, I'm really aggravated that that young man kissed my granddaughter, but uh, I'm glad she had the courage to retaliate. The general thinks to himself, fair play to my lieutenant for kissing that young lady because she was rather pretty, but why did she hit me instead? And the young lieutenant was the only one who knew what happened. You see, in that brief moment of darkness, he had the opportunity to kiss a pretty girl and to slap his general. <laughs> <laughs> Different perceptions, different perceptions, and, and as I say, we, if we went around the room, we'd have different perceptions of, of, of uh, you know, all kinds of things, really, but, uh, but as we consider today around the area of poverty. So, so as I travel around the country, some people say, well, you know, my perception is that it's not really that bad. How can it be in the 21st century when we've got all this advancement technologically, we can put man on the moon, we can do all of this stuff. How can it still be that bad? You know, it's a lot of media hype. It's a lot of charities just trying to get more money and all of those things. It can't be that bad. Another one is, well, you know, it's their own fault. 
you know, if their government wasn't corrupt, then there's enough food for everyone in the world. Uh, it's just not getting to the right people. And charity begins at home. You know, we've got to look after our own first. There's poverty here in the UK. Uh, and so it starts here. So there's another perception. Another one is, well, it's God's judgment and anger raining down on nations that have turned their back on him. Uh, and so we've got to, you know, let God do his thing and not stand in the way. Well, you know, I'm not sure I subscribe to, to that one either. I know what they're saying, but I don't think I agree totally with that. You know, another one is, well, it is bad and it's too big and it never changes. And we throw money at it, but things never, ever change. So what's the point? But another one is this. Well, yes, it's big, but tell me what to do and I'll do it. You know, we can change this. And in compassion, we believe that it's one child at a time. It's like, you know, trying to eat a, an elephant. How do you do that? One bite at a time. One child at a time. Because, you know, I could tell you story after story of children that we've invested in over the years whose lives have been turned around and now they are turning other lives around. They have drawn the line uh, under poverty in their family. They've drawn the line uh, under poverty in their community. We now have uh, young people who have grown up through our program and are now members of parliament in their country. I think of Margaret McCohar in Uganda. I think of Bujen in Haiti, standing for truth and righteousness in a corrupt government. Uh, you know, I think of uh, those who are engineers and doctors and teachers and lawyers and, and uh, pastors and business people and great mums and great dads, role models for their community uh, because their lives have been changed. And somebody said, I want to invest in that child. I want to uh, you know, help that child to have a hope and a future and become all that God wants them to be. I want them to be a winner. I want them to be a winner in life. And, uh, you know, God's heart is for the poor. God's heart is for those who face injustice. So if you have your Bible, Luke's Gospel, chapter 10, verse 25, you'll know this um, story very well. Even if you've not been coming to church for very long, you'll probably have heard this story maybe long ago in school at an assembly or something like that. But verse 25 says, On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, pass by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise.
Let's just take a moment to pray, shall we? Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord, for your word to us. Thank you for this story that you told all those years ago. Uh, and you wanted to teach your disciples something then and the people then. And you still want to teach us something now. So even though we know this story very well and we've probably acted it out at some point, maybe in a, a youth group or something like that, Lord, I pray that we will know something fresh from your word today. Teach us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So there's these three guys, and there's different responses to the need. Uh, one man goes on a journey, uh, and on the way he's beaten up, he's robbed, he's left for dead. And uh, a priest comes down the road, a, a religious person, you kind of think, well, surely he would stop. But he thinks, no, I've, I've got to get to the temple. I've got to represent God before the people and the people before God. So I'll, I'll leave it to somebody else. So he uh, carries on on his journey and somebody else does come along. This time it's a Levite, another religious person. Well, this person doesn't even cross the road. He sees blood and he thinks, I can't get involved. I've already begun the ceremonial washings and cleansings so that I can uh, be fit to make the sacrifices at the temple. I can't get involved, otherwise I'll be corrupted. But I'm sure some God will send somebody else. Well, somebody else does come along. And this time it's a Samaritan, someone that you could actually almost forgive for walking past on the other side because... Uh, the nature of the relationship between the Samaritans and the Jews. They hated each other. I guess the guy on the road is thinking, oh, he's not going to help me either. But he's the one who stops. He's the one who gets involved because he sees someone with a need and he knows I've got the resources to be able to meet that need. Uh, this man needed a neighbor. He needed a friend. You know, Martin Luther King said this, that the first question that the priest and the Levite asked was, if I stop and help this man, what will happen to me? What will happen to me? But the Samaritan reverses the question. He says, if I don't stop and help this man, what will happen to him? Now, that's a really good question for us to ask uh, in today's world, isn't it? If we don't stop and get involved, what will happen to them? What will happen to them? Because, you know, there are uh, people who are dying without Christ. There are people who are lonely, who are rejected, who are on the wrong side of justice. People are facing all kinds of challenges in their life. People who have needs. People uh, who uh, feel cast aside and rejected. People who are facing all kinds of issues in their life. If we don't stop and get involved, what will happen to them? And that's... Our responsibility, isn't it? Those of us who've been touched with the good news of the gospel, those who've come into a place of new life and new birth, uh, you know, those who have been dealt justice, who now stand in the righteousness of Jesus, righteousness is interchangeable with justice in the word of God. So as we stand in his righteousness, as we stand in his justice, so that justice now has to be extended to others as well in Ways of compassion, acts of mercy and kindness and love for others as well. We have a responsibility, don't we? Well, Jesus tells this story to uh, illustrate what it means to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind and your strength. Uh, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, and, and I think that that's a discipleship issue because it's about loving God with every part of our being. 
Not just on a Sunday, not just in the worship time when we enjoy the songs and we can lift our hands, but loving God with every part of our being. It's discipleship, and that's what God wants from us, to be his disciples, not just those who, you know, uh, follow, but those who really get alongside him, who ask questions, who seek to change their lifestyle, who seek to walk in his ways. Uh, discipleship. So let's see how the, the Good Samaritan um, demonstrates this in this little story. The first thing is this. Number one, he chose to see the need. He chose to see the need. You see, the man was moved in his soul. He was moved in his soul. When he saw him, he took pity on him. He didn't close his eyes to the need like the others did. He saw this guy and uh, like so many people today who walk away, who walk be, uh, uh, away from the situation, he saw the need and he chose to get involved. And that's what Jesus does. Jesus always sees the need. Jesus sees the needs in this room. This morning he sees a crowd, but he sees an ind individual. And he loves you in your need. He sees you in your need. Uh, he's heard your cry. Uh, he's not blind to your situation. He knows all about you. And this morning, we can find grace in him. We can find hope in Jesus. We can find healing in him. Talk to somebody this morning and uh, share with them and, and ask them to pray with you. We don't want you to go out from this place the same way that you came in. There's a, a God who sees you today and cares about you and loves you so much. And uh, he always sees the need. When he saw the crowds, the word says, he had compassion on them. Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Uh, the story of the prodigal son, you know, the father every day was going out to uh, the end of the road to, to look for his son because he had compassion on him. God sees our need. He sees, uh, you know, the, the way we are right now. And he loves us uh, as our heavenly father. We need to be people who see the need as well. We need to open our eyes to the needs around us in this community, in this region, across this nation and across the world, the Jerusalem, the Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth. You know, what is God? We can't change all of the world, but we can change the world for somebody. We can make a difference in somebody's life. But we need to see the needs and be broken in our lives for those who face those situations. Can I tell you today that 17,000 children will die of easily preventable causes today and yesterday and tomorrow. 17,000 kids, that's things like measles and malaria and malnutrition-related causes. It's, it's things like diarrhea. You know, we were talking with the kids earlier on because of infected water sources and what it does in their stomachs and causes sickness and ill health and, and uh, you know, in, and even death. Five million children every year won't reach their fifth birthday because of these kind of issues in their life. Some of you have known what it is to be in countries where that, that has happened. You've experienced some of this poverty yourselves. You know what I'm talking about today. We talked about the fact nearly a billion people still uh, will go to bed hungry tonight. That 800 million people don't have access to safe, clean water. 2.4 billion people don't have a safe place to go to the toilet. Uh, I've got two toilets in my house, one up, one down, you know. I'm rich beyond compare. You know, one of our uh, young guys who's come through the program, when he was in India, in Kolkata, he was in a, a slum of 10,000 with two toilets and one tap. How about that? Two toilets and one tap. And that's the reality that 
the poor face in our world today. And it's dangerous to go out after dark from your, your home in that, that environment, in that community. To go and find the community toilet or, or whatever. And, uh, you know, it's dangerous to, to have those kind of needs because, you know, it can just lead to, to, to violence, to abuse, to rape, to murder even. You know, so you imagine a, a young girl somewhere in, in the world who's having to walk five kilometers a day to uh, get water. First of all, she's being kept out of school and education. But she's got to walk this distance to get the water for the family. And, and maybe she's, uh, you know, taken advantage of on the way back and she's violated. And, and now uh, she's corrupted, so who's going to marry her? So some cultures, there's a, an honor marriage where the rapist will marry the, the girl, and so now she's subject to abuse all the way through her adolescence. By the time she's 12 or 13, she's got her first child. By the time she's 16, she's got another child. By the time she's 18, she's HIV AIDS, and maybe the baby that she's got inside her is infected as well. By the time she's 22, she's dead. Why? Why did that happen? Because there was no clean water for her to have available to her. Wow. These are the, the challenges that are associated uh, with those who are living with poverty in our world today. 130 million girls will not be in school tomorrow. That's just girls alone uh, because they're needed and required around the home and, uh, and they don't have that opportunity. And if there's a lack of funds, maybe it's going to be the boy that's sent to school and has that opportunity. So these are some of the needs in our world today. The list goes on. Something like 46 million people in, in, uh, caught up in modern day slavery, uh, you know, in forced labor, in, in uh, sex trafficking, all of these things. Two million young children every year uh, abused and exploited for sexual purposes. These are the massive needs and so often it affects the poor uh, rather than anybody. See, loving God with everything means allowing him to saturate our souls, to touch our emotions with his love, uh, so that when we see broken humanity, the love of Christ wells up within us and causes us to respond rather than to retreat and to, to open our eyes in faith rather than in fear and not to walk on, not to walk away, but to say, what can I do about this? What can I do about the needs in my community? And, you know, I trust that even today the Holy Spirit will put things in your heart and your mind. And you, you're angry about those things. And it's almost a case of banging your fist on the table and say, that can't continue. I need to do something about that. I need to change that. Uh, that's very often how vision is birthed because we see the need and we want to change that situation. So do we close our eyes in fear or do we open our eyes in faith to believe that God can actually use us uh, to bring about change and healing into someone's life? Here's the second thing. He answered the cry. See, he chose to see the need, but it wasn't enough to see the need. He needed to do something about it. Okay, so he answered the cry, and, and uh, the word says that he went to him. Now, James tells us that it's one thing to have, you know, faith, but faith without deeds is not faith at all. So we can, you know, think lots of good things, but unless we do something about what God has spoken to us about, that's not faith. Faith is active, isn't it? And so he went to him and he bandaged his wounds and he poured on oil and wine and brought comfort to this needy man. This time, uh, it's about loving God with our minds. 
Because when uh, we love God with our minds, it involves a conscious act of the will. It causes us to do something about what our soul is, is feeling, how God has impacted us there as well. So we can be moved by what we hear today or see on a screen today, but very quickly we can move on. You know, you, you see something on comic relief or children in need and, and it moves us and it touches our hearts and then Downton Abbey comes on or Match of the Day comes on. We've forgotten about it. We've moved on. But you see, compassion puts arms and legs on pity. It does something about it. It, it grows hands and feet and, and, and does something about the need that we actually see. Proverbs 11 verse 13 says this, If a man shuts his ear to the cry of the poor, he too will cry out and not be answered. Ooh, that's a bit of a hard verse, isn't it? Don't like that one, Nathan, do you? Don't like reading verses like that in Scripture. I like ones like, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He restores my soul. Or I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Or uh, though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor, that we might become rich. Hallelujah. Isn't it wonderful that God wants to bless us? And, uh, you know, uh, if God is for me, who can be against me? These are great verses. And then, he drops one in, if a man shuts his ear to the cry of the poor, he too will cry out and not be answered. Ooh, don't like that one. Don't like that one. Move on. Don't you love me, God? Don't you want to bless me? Yes, but I want you to understand how I feel, what I'm passionate about. And so you need to get in the pattern and understand my heart for those who face injustice. We'll come back to that verse in a little while. So the Samaritan was aware of the danger and he was aware of the inconvenience, but he got involved. He stopped, his heart was moved, and he did something about it. Number three, he refused to give up. He refused to give up. See, verse um, 14 to 15, it says that he didn't just patch him up on the side of the road and then think, well, I've ticked a box, I've done my bit, I'll go on, somebody else can take it on from there. No, he, he puts him on his donkey, and he takes him to an inn, and he looks after him there, but then when he's got to go off on business, he says to the innkeeper, here's two days wages, look after him, and on my return, I will reimburse you if there's any extra expense. Wow, this is somebody who is committed to seeing this broken person restored totally. He didn't just want to make an offering, this was a sacrifice. He wanted to get involved in this person's restoration and see that broken person made whole. He refused to give up, okay? Um, you know what, this time when we love God with all our strength, then we will follow through in the things that God causes us to do, the things that he puts on our hearts, and, and we'll do whatever it takes to make that happen, won't we? You know, have you noticed in life that sometimes we start with good intentions, don't we? We get inspired and enthused and excited about a particular thing, and then maybe we get some opposition or maybe somebody criticizes us or maybe we didn't see the fruit quickly enough uh, or it gets hard going or other team members drop out and we think, well, you know, maybe God's not in it. Maybe we've given up too soon. Maybe the breakthrough is just around the corner, but we gave up too soon. Don't give up on the things that God has put into your hand, you know, if it's not yet time to do that. 
Sometimes we do need to reevaluate. You know, is, there, is it still right to continue with this particular thing? But other times, it's a case of pressing through and, and, and trusting God for a great outcome. Uh, I think of so many great people down through history who could have given up. And if they'd given up, we wouldn't be benefiting today. Thank God for Wilberforce, who continued for over 20 years for the abolition of slavery, you know, and uh, death threats and everything. He was ready to give up. He writes to John Wesley, who's on his deathbed. You know, I fear that nothing will ever happen, that this won't change. Wesley writes back, you know, don't give up on this good work that God has put in your heart to do. Within three months, Wesley passed away. And then within another six months, a bill went through Parliament for the abolition of slavery. Something was broken at that time. Now, there's still slavery. There's still modern-day slavery today. We've got to keep uh, fighting that evil in society. Of course we have. But something was broken, and it changed the lives of many or began to lead to the, the change of lives for many. What about Florence Nightingale, you know? Uh, there she was in uh, a man's world of medicine, uh, and yet she had uh, ideas about how hygiene and good sanitation were going to contribute to health and all of these things, and she was laughed and scoffed at, and, you know, who do you think you are? But she pressed on. Thank God she did, because we have the benefit of that uh, in life today, and, and uh, the list goes on. Thank God for those who didn't give up. Don't give up. When the going gets tough, don't give up on that teenager you've been praying for who's, you know, uh, turned away from God. Don't give up on that spouse who you want to see come to Christ. Keep on going. Don't give up on that ministry. If, if, if God's put that in your heart to do, keep on doing it. Get some people to pray with you. Find some faith for that thing. And, uh, and keep on going. Uh, don't give up on that, that ministry, that missionary, that sponsored child. You know, when it gets tough financially, give up on Sky TV before you do that. Because you don't want to give up on a, a potential world leader and somebody who's going to change their society, their world. Keep on going and press on. And just as you began well, the Apostle Paul said, finish well. You know, we, we often start well, but it's about finishing well. So, uh, and we do it with all our strength, you know? Going back to some of those stats earlier on, back in the 80s, we used to say that 40,000 children died every day of preventable causes. Now it's 17,000. It's still tragic. But can you see the change? In 1981, 52% of the world's population lived in abject poverty. Now it's 26%. Changing, we changed it in a generation. So we can do this. You know, in fact, international development uh, experts would say if we continue at the current trajectory of change and development, we can see abject poverty eradicated by 2035. That's phenomenal. That's phenomenal. Now, they'll always be poor in the land. The word tells us that. But to see people out of abject extreme poverty... Uh, will be absolutely amazing. And so we want to see people lifted up, and that's what we're working towards. There's still 375 million children living in abject poverty right now. You know, we may have 2 million, uh, but we're playing our part to see the next child released from poverty in Jesus' name. And uh, things are changing all the time. You don't hear uh, these results, you know. We don't hear the good news, but things are changing all the time when it comes to the poor. Anyway, let's move on. Last one. Can I share one more thing with you? Is that okay? 
It's got 27 points. Are you ready for this? Number one. No, it hasn't. No, it hasn't. Okay, so he chose to see the need. He answered the cry. He refused to give up. Last thing is this. He was the key to bringing life. He was the key to bringing life. You see, the Good Samaritan wasn't hindered by this man, uh, by, the, by the difference of this man, rather, because he had a heart to make a difference to this man. So he was willing to, to cross the political and the social and the cultural barriers and prejudices and, and the fear of the unknown because he saw someone with a need and he realized I've got the resources to be able to meet that need in their life. This time when we love God with all our heart, then nothing that we have will be held back from him. You know, it'll all be willingly available to him. You see, everything that we have belongs to him anyway. We don't really own anything as Christians. You know, we, we understand that. We're just called to be good stewards of what he's already given us. David in the Bible said this, everything I have belongs to you. So he lays it all down in sacrifice. So God is just trusting us with resources. You say, well, Tim, I've saved all my life. That's mine. Well, yeah, absolutely. You've worked hard and God wants us to be blessed. He wants us uh, to enjoy life. He wants us to have enough and to be blessed, but to be a blessing as well. You know, so that when he calls and says, hey, I need some of your money or, hey, I need some of your time or I want you to use your gift. I want you to use your car or your home or whatever it may be to serve somebody else that we say, yes, Lord, because it's all about you. This is all about serving you and your kingdom. And so uh, that's what the Good Samaritan did. You know, he, he gave everything. He crossed all of those kind of barriers. And if you're a Christian today, Christ is living in you. You have the hope of glory. You have this treasure in jars of clay, the word says. It's time to smash open that jar and let the glory and the grace of Jesus, that treasure, spill out into the lives of other people that they might discover his love and his power too. Do you know the, um, the priest represented religion and the Levite represented ritual? Uh, can I tell you that God hates both? God hates religion. In fact, the only uh, time he recognizes religion and calls it pure is when people keep themselves polluted from the world and look after widows and orphans in their distress. Now, once upon a time in Assemblies of God, we used to quote that verse, but you know, we'd only quote the first bit. It was all about keeping yourself polluted from the world. Holy lives, all of that, which is absolutely right. But then it's, you know, to care for widows and orphans in their distress, that social action, that social arm of the gospel, bringing justice to the poor. Uh, and we have to do that. And God sees that as the kind of religion that is pure. In Isaiah 58, it says, you know, how the, uh, the church at that time said, God, you've not listened to us. We've fasted and we've prayed and we've done all of these things, but you've not blessed us, you've not heard us or, or anything, you know. And God gets angry with them and he shouts. When God shouts, he wants to get our attention. And he wanted to get their attention because he said, on the day of your fast, you exploit all your workers. You climb over the backs of others because you're greedy for gain. You exploit the poor. And he says, is not this the kind of fast that I desire? To loose the chains of injustice, to set the captive free, to give food to the hungry and shelter to the homeless and not to turn the stranger away. Then your light will rise. Then your healing will come. 
See, it goes back to that verse in Proverbs, doesn't it? If a man shuts his ear to the cry of the poor, he too will cry out and not be answered. God wanted them to understand his heart for the broken, for the last, the least, the lost, the rejected, the, the marginalized, the disenfranchised. Don't treat them like that. Serve the poor. Love the poor. You know, uh, the good Samaritan represented relationship. See, the poor need a friend. So often, you know, uh, they're without a friend. They're without that love. And others will serve and help and in whatever they can in that community. But when everybody's in that situation, it's very difficult. And so somehow we need to take the hand of those who face those injustices and, and help them across that line of poverty. Can I tell you that poverty is a lie? Poverty, you know, straight away we think of a lack of food or shelter or money or job or uh, whatever it may be. But actually it's a lie of the enemy that says you're rubbish, you're worthless, you have no value, there's no choice, and there's no option to get out of it. And every time they try to break down that wall, that lie pulls them back because it becomes a mindset. We're, we're about in compassion breaking that lie over the kids' lives. We want them to have truth in their hearts, that they can uh, cross that line, that they can climb that wall, that they can get through that. And, and, and we want to provide those who come alongside and say, yeah, you can do it. We're going to write to you and inspire you and encourage you. We're going to maybe even visit you and uh, be a part of your world and, and help you to become all that God wants you to be. So I, I love doing that. We've got kids that we sponsor and I've met them and uh, you know, we're able to write to them and invest in their lives and help them uh, to have that sense of hope that only comes through Jesus. The poor need a friend. You know, the good Samaritan gave his time and his touch and his treasure to restore a broken person. And as God's people, we're called to feel the need of the broken. We're called to kneel beside humanity with humility, to serve and to give. That's what Jesus did, to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. To heal the wounds, physical and emotional and spiritual. To deal hope to the hopeless. To be a dealer of hope. Mother Teresa said this, one of the greatest diseases is to be nobody to anybody. I'm glad I matter to someone. I'm glad somebody loves me. And you know, so many around our world lack that sense of love. And we need to come alongside and you know, speak into their lives that sense of hope and love into their situation. I want us just to just see a brief video now that I'm going to jump back up and the team are going to come back up. I'm going to tell you a story and then we're going to close. But just watch this film a moment. This is four of our young people who've come through the program and they're just telling a little bit of their story. It's called One Act. recollections is finding myself at the age of five roaming the streets eating from dumpsters we were forced to live with 17 of our other relatives in a very small shanty if you want to be out of poverty then you have to deal with drugs my friends were actually sold into prostitution kids dying for preventable causes and as darkness engulfs the place the devil takes over my relatives would always tell me Michelle you are so ugly you will become nothing but a thief and a drug addict when you grow up. And 
those were the words that I heard from people whom I expected to love and take care of me. I watched as my 10-month-old sister died in the laps of my mother out of starvation. But right in the middle of this desperation, it was then that compassion intervened. What joy and dancing came to my home at the news that I'd finally got a sponsor. I received my first letter. We wrote back and forth. She said words like, Richmond, I love you. And that lightened me up. My sponsor told me, Michelle, you are beautiful. You are precious to us, and we love you. And the words touched the very depth of my heart and soul. 18 years later, here I am. A child rescued from hopelessness. My name is Michelle. My name is Tony. My name is Jimmy. My name is Richmond. And one act saved my life. And one act saved my life. Saved my life. Will you act? The choice is yours. Sponsor a child through compassion today. Release a child from poverty. From poverty. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Incredible stories, eh? We can repeat so many of those. There's so many thousands of children around our world who have found hope and a future in their lives. Uh, that last guy to speak, Richmond, he's from Uganda. You know, he saw his father murdered in front of him and grew up very angry and bitter and then was registered on the program, found Jesus. Now he over... He pastors the church that oversaw the project that he was he came through uh, he runs a pastor's network in Kampala for 600 pastors he's just built a bible college where they're planning to uh, train hundreds and thousands of uh, leaders with the gospel to be able to take it across Africa I asked him a couple of years ago what his ambition was he said to be the president of Uganda and he probably will be <laughs> no enrichment Michelle she's running a program for girls on the street who face the challenge of prostitution. Jimmy speaks for us regularly and sees kids broken out of poverty. Tony from the Dominican Republic, he's now the national director of Compassion in, in the Dominican Republic. You see, God does something in their lives and they want to turn it around and make a difference. Just as the band begin to play, you know, here's a, here's a little story. I just took out one of our churches and Assemblies of God, actually. They sponsor about 300 kids. And we went to Ethiopia and we had a fun day in one of the projects. And the team split up and uh, some were playing football, some were playing uh, volleyball. Others were running races, some were skipping. And I found myself with uh, about 30 young children, uh, five, six-year-olds and uh, I said to one of the guys, let's do some throwing and catching skills. So we, we got them in a circle, which took ages. It does anywhere in the world to get kids of that age into a circle, I can tell you. But we managed to do it. And uh, he stood in the middle with a ball and threw the ball to each one, and they'd throw it back. And lots of fun and uh, joy on these kids' faces. And I was walking around the outside just throwing the ball back in when it rolled out. And, and I noticed there was a little boy in a... Uh, long-sleeved white shirt and he stood there in the circle all came round and hit him in the chest didn't even attempt to go for it and, and uh, on it went and it happened again the next time round so I thought well maybe I can help him 
So I came alongside and I knelt down and uh, I said, should we do this together? He kind of looked at me with this very sad expression on his face. And I went to take his hands in mine and I realized he didn't have an arm in his sleeve. And his left hand, he only had three fingers. No wonder he couldn't go for the ball. He wasn't able to do it. So I literally became the right arm and the left hand of this little boy. Now the ball came round and together we caught the ball. You should have seen his face change. You should have seen the smile on his face when that happened. Now he could join in. Now he could do what everybody else was doing because somebody was supporting him in that. See, this is what this is about. When you invest in a, a childlike winner, it's 83 pence a day, it's 25 pounds a month. That's a lot of money for some people. Maybe you can do it as a, a couple of people together, or a little group or something like that. But sometimes we've got more money than we think that we have. Maybe we go to Starbucks and you don't come out of there with any change from a tenner, do you? You know, a couple of visits there a month and you've paid for a child who could potentially become a, a world changer. And that's what you do. You, you support them. You take their hand and you cross the line of poverty and you uh, enable them to have an education, regular health care, a social, emotional, spiritual development program uh, built around their lives that's going to help them, keeping them safe in a place of value, building into their families, supporting their families as well so that the whole family come out of poverty. Wow, what an opportunity we have. There's a church here in South Normanton to engage with the world. I know some of you sponsor in other organizations. Keep on doing that. Keep on, uh, you know, being faithful with that child, with that student, whoever it is. But today, if, if this is something that you would love to do, I'd love to talk with you. We've got some kids there, as I say, from Togo. They're all in uh, the same area, and you can invest in their life. And who knows, one day, maybe you take a team out and visit those kids. But right now, let's just pray, shall we? Father, thank you for your incredible love to each one of us. Thank you that you are a God of grace, but you're also a God of justice, a God of faithfulness. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. And God, part of our discipleship is that we should be a people of justice, a people who are living out that justice lifestyle. And so today, God, speak to us about what we can do. Lord, even if it's just at the area, just in the, uh, the level of being more content with what we've got or uh, being more prayerful about these things or not taking things for granted. But Lord, if you're leading us to do something today, I pray that we will be faithful and obedient. Touch our hearts, touch our souls, our minds our strength, Lord, our very beings, everything, with love for you, to serve you in these days. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, let's just worship the Lord as we come to